Hey everybody, this is Jake Walker and this is Living for the Day, a podcast that exists to encourage and equip people to live in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Woo, let's go. I'm so excited about this episode because it's all about the Bible. It's all about the scriptures. It's all about God's revelation. So precious to me, so precious to humanity, the Word of God. I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to jump into this episode. So thanks for being with me today. Let's do it. Let's jump in. All right, friends, welcome to episode two of Living for the Day. So excited to be with you. And hey, I value your time a lot. I know I said it before, but I think it's partly because I value time in general. I think of Psalm 90 when it says, Teach me to number my days, O Lord, that I might gain a heart of wisdom. And it's like, hey, we don't have unlimited time. And so, therefore, time's valuable, and your time's valuable, and I pray that I will add value to you uh, in this brief time we have together. I'm so excited. We are talking about the Bible today, and I have to admit, I'm going to have to hold myself back. It's party time. I love the scriptures. I love the Bible, and I'm so excited for this episode to, I pray, inspire just a greater treasuring of God's word. So we've got that as the theme. I'm excited for the nugget at the end of the episode. Stick around for that. It's all about animals in heaven and even pets in heaven. So hope you're excited to hear a little bit about that. Let's just jump right into it. Today's theme is trusting and building our lives on the scriptures and how the scriptures strengthen us and equip us to live for the day. Why do the scriptures encourage and equip us to live for the day? Well, friends, the scriptures, they're the ones that tell us that there is a day coming when Jesus will return. The scriptures, not my feelings, not society at large, not modern philosophy or modern science, though all those things are wonderful. It's the scriptures that tell us about that day and It's the scriptures that tell us what's going to matter on that day. One day, I'm going to stand before Jesus, friends, and I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's the scriptures that tell me what's going to (laughs) matter. It's like, if I know that I have a test coming, it's like, I want to go to the teacher and be like, hey, what what is this test going to be on? God's the creator. He's the judge. He's revealed what's going to matter on that day. So I'm getting ahead of myself here. But, you know, I was thinking about the Word of God. I was thinking about the Bible. And I was thinking about how aren't people's words an extension of them? Like think of a note or think of, yeah, think of a note or a letter from someone you love or someone that you respect. Don't you hold that close and you just kind of hang on those words It's because people's words, they're an extension of their essence, right? And if you've experienced that, how those words are are 
are precious to you from someone that you love or that you respect, how much more the words of God are they precious to us? Come on, so good. I I love the Bible, and I wanted to get on the same page just briefly, just so you know kind of what I believe the Bible is. And to start, the Bible comes from the Latin word biblia, meaning books. So it's a library of books um, telling one unified story, historical story of God's redemption and renewal of creation through Jesus. It's written in three languages, 40 authors over thousands of years, yet it has one unified story. Christianity, based on the Bible, by the way, has transcended typically halting cultural and ethnic barriers like no other religion. But that makes sense because it's good news about historical events for all kinds of people. What is the Bible? It's God's self-revelation. I was thinking about, I read somewhere, what was humanity in desperate need of? Two things. It was in need of revelation because we didn't know who God was. We didn't know who we were. And we were in need of salvation, redemption. And that was provided in Jesus Christ. We were in need of revelation. Who is God? Who's the creator? And in relationships, people self-define. And you know, it's tempting to make God in our own image, but we want to be a people who let God define who he is. And so that's what the scriptures are. They're God's self-definition, God's self-revelation. He gets to say who he is. We don't get to say who he is, right? And then the Bible's our source. It's our, for Christians, it's, it's what ultimately unites us. We're not united by mere, you know, a faith in Jesus, and that faith just means whatever it means to us. We have our own truth. No, we're united by a biblical faith in Jesus. And I just want to start with some scriptures that encourage me to love God's word and build my life on it and treasure, treasure his word. We don't, we're not going to just have one passage for today. We're going to have several passages for the day because it's all about God's word. Here are just a few. Actually, I want to start with a different one. I'm going to try to say this from memory. Let's see. Psalm 119, 97 through 104. I just love this passage so much. It just says, Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they're my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I'm always thinking of your laws. I'm even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. I ref- I've refused to walk in any evil path so that I might remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you've taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They're sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Woo! What an amazing passage. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. So good. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does this passage say to me? God's words, friends, are life. They sustain. They keep us from death. This passage is so amazing. Jesus was being tempted. He was in this spiritual battle with the ultimate spiritual enemy, the devil. What does he use to fight the enemy off? He uses the word of God. He says, it is written. 
And he declares that human beings, we don't live on physical bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Come on. That's good. That's encouraging to me. The Bible, I've experienced it to be life and health, as Proverbs 4 says. Let's go to the next verse. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the theme passage for today. And it's crucial that we understand this. The scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's God-breathed, friends. It's not just a human book. It's a God book. This is fundamental. The Bible is God's self-revelation. It's his self-disclosure inspired by the Holy Spirit. Whoo! I just got to go into one thing really quick. Did you know, I really believe the idea of the authority of God's word, you know, maybe some people would think, oh, that's just like, a man-made idea to try to control people. And I'm like, okay. Like, I, I understand, and I respect you, and I love you. But actually, the authority of God's word, that's not a man-made idea. That's a God idea. Where where am I coming from? Did you know, uh, in kind of the ancient Near East, in ancient times, When people would make a covenant, when two parties would make a covenant, part of what went into making a covenant, which God did with Israel, part of what went into making a covenant was an unalterable, authoritative, written record of the covenant. Whoa. So God choosing to reveal himself and enter into a covenant with Israel at the time he did showed that he wanted there to be this unalterable, authoritative written record of his covenant. Whoa. Basically the authority of the scriptures of the old Testament was a God idea. And then Jesus bringing the new covenant, his people knowing this would have expected, Hey, we need this unalterable authoritative written record of this covenant. And Jesus said that the Holy spirit would lead into all truth, authorizing the new Testament Whoa, the authority of God's word. It's not a man idea. It's a God idea. Come on, that's so good. Speaking of that, 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. Whoa, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, scripture is not just human. It's divine. It's God's revelation. And that's why we take it so seriously. Not just because we think it has a lot of good ideas or good ethics. No, we believe it's from the creator. And that's why it's precious to us. We're in need of revelation and we're in need of salvation. Come on. I love Romans 15, 14. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. I just want to ask, do you need some more encouragement, endurance, and hope in your life? Yeah, me too. Then let's love the scriptures. Let's eat of the scriptures. Let's be satisfied with the word of God. Just like Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I love Matthew seven twenty four through 27. 
Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Friends, what I get from this is obeying God's words is the foundation we need to withstand the storms of life. Why is it a trustworthy foundation? Again, it comes from the creator who set the pillars and the foundations of reality with his words. So if we want to have a steadfast foundation, let's go to the creator who created the foundation. Okay, Psalm 1. I'm having too much fun right now. I love Psalm 1. I'm going to try to say it a little bit from memory. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water whose leaf does not water that produces its fruit in its season. Oh no, I'm messing it up a little bit. Uh, And who prospers in all they do. I think that's basically the idea. Not so the ungodly. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Friends, since the beginning in Genesis, the enemy has been trying to get us to scoff at the word of God. Did God really say that? Did he really say that? The enemy's been trying to get us to doubt the trustworthiness of God's word. That's his tactic. Come on. The Bible talks about let's not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. He's trying to get you to doubt the word of God and the trustworthiness of what God has said. Don't let him get you with that old scheme. Come on, let's let's be those who don't scoff at the word of God, but who delight in the word of God. Again, Psalm 119, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? How? By living according to your word. And Psalm 119 talks about how it's a lamp to our feet. Whoo! And then the final verse I want to talk about today is 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25. This podcast is about eternity. You want to know something that's eternal? God's word. 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Friends, we can build our lives on the word of God because it's eternal and it won't fade like the flowers. Whew. Some of my, some scriptures that I just love so much. I wanted to tell a brief story that I think is pretty profound. Some of you will know of the great Um, American evangelist Billy Graham. I wish I had the stats, but he led a lot of people to trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Had, you know, massive stadium gatherings, was this amazing man of God. But what a lot of people who may know of Billy Graham don't know is that he had a dear friend who was a fellow evangelist when they were young, and his name was Charles Templeton. 
Charles Templeton was also a talented, charismatic, amazing, studly evangelist. And, you know, they, they worked together and did evangelism together when they were young. But then that old scheme of the enemy, did God really say that? Started getting into Chuck Templeton's heart and mind. And he started buying into some of the modern false biased narratives about God's word. That it's really a human word full of errors and it's not really God's word. And he started to really pick at Billy's faith. There's this really hard moment in Billy Graham's life and in Charles Templeton's life. And so Billy Graham, you know, took these things to the Lord and studied and it was a crisis of faith moment for Billy Graham. Can I really believe the word of God? And by the way, this is before Billy Graham really launched into all the, you know, crusades that would kind of define the rest of his career. And in this kind of wrestling time, Billy got invited to Forest Home, which is a, a camp in Southern California. It's kind of cool because I actually worked at Forest Home uh, at one point in my life. So I kind of feel a connection to this story and I kind of can picture where some of where Billy Graham was. But he got invited to speak up there and it's just this beautiful up in the mountains campground. And one night, he went out on a walk with the Lord. He went out into the woods and he was, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming wrestling with the Lord and praying. And then he came to this tree stump and he puts his Bible on the tree stump and he cried out, Oh God, there are many things in this book. I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution there are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions Chuck and others are raising. But then he said this, Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. Billy Graham left Forest Home, and just a few weeks later, it's like he was coming down from the mountain, uh, like Moses came down from the mountain, and he was a changed man. He went and preached at the Los Angeles Crusades, which ran a total of eight weeks instead of the original scheduled three weeks. Over 300,000 people heard the gospel at this moment, and it would spark the evangelistic crusades that defined the rest of his career. And it all stemmed from this fork in the roads moment where Billy, Ga Billy Graham decided, God, I am going to choose to believe that your word really is the word of God. And then, boom, his life was never the same. And you know what else is never the same? Eternity. For hundreds of thousands, maybe more people who decided to put their trust in Christ and were influenced by Billy Graham through his ministry. And I hate to say it, 
I hate to report that Charles Templeton lost his faith. And it's a tragic story. And, and he was, you know, successful in some other endeavors in life. But I can't help but wonder if eternity in heaven would be more populated had Charles Templeton not given in to that old scheme of the devil to question God's word. I love that story because it was this fork in the roads moment where Billy Graham decided to trust God's word. And, you know, friends, I think that there always will be a, a leap of faith to take God's, the Bible as God's very word. But I don't believe it's this massive blind leap in the dark where you have to check your brains at the door. That's just not the case. And I don't know exactly what Billy was wrestling with. And I wish I could talk with him in that moment. Um, because I really believe that the Bible's completely truthful in all it means to communicate. I don't believe that there are true contradictions. I believe it's infallible. It's inspired. It's authoritative. I believe there's powerful, logical evidence to believe the Bible is true in all it communicates. And just for those who might be wrestling a little bit, I'm not going to try to give an exhaustive defense of why I believe the Bible is reliable and why I trust it. But I'm just going to share briefly, I'll try to keep it brief, why I I have this deep confidence in God's word that it really is his word. It's really inspired and it's precious. All right, so some things that come to my mind when I think of why I believe the Bible. First of all, friends, I believe the Bible is historically reliable. And by the way, that's a huge thing. That the Bible is, Bible is making an argument about historical events, right? It's not just philosophy. It's not just ethics. It's saying this happened and this is going to happen. And go ahead and investigate, right? So I believe the Bible is historically reliable. And I'll get to more of that in a second. But friends, if the Bible is historically reliable, then Jesus Christ rose from the dead, And if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then he is who he says he is. He's God. And what he said about the word of God is true if he really rose from the dead. And if what he said about the word of God is true, then it's completely reliable and worthy of my trust. Jesus endorsed the Old Testament as God's very word and authorized the New Testament. Jesus knew the scriptures thoroughly. He believed the Old Testament was historical fact. He believed, you know, Luke eleven fifty one. Abel was a real individual. Luke 17, 26 through 27, Noah was a real person. Matthew 8, 11, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are real. Matthew 10, 15, real judgment really happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. John 6, 31, manna in the wilderness really happened. Matthew 12, 39 through 41, Daniel was a real prophet. He quoted scripture as the basis for his own teaching. His ethics were the same as already written in scripture. He warned against replacing it with something else or adding or subtracting from it. Matthew 5, 17 through 18 and Matthew 15, 1 through 9. But somebody's saying right now, Jake, 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 you're saying you believe the Bible because someone in the Bible believed the Bible. Isn't that a circular argument? Well, remember, I believe the Bible is historically reliable, not just because it claims to be, but because I believe the logical evidence leads us to a historical confidence in that conclusion. For example, Doing a little bit of history, manuscript evidence, 
is unmatched for the Bible compared to other ancient documents of antiquity. Are you evaluating historicity of ancient documents? Here are two things you want. You want a lot of those documents, and you want a lot of old documents or manuscripts. We have thousands of ancient manuscripts. It's just absolutely not even a comparison uh, with other documents of antiquity. The fact that we have so many manuscripts is a huge deal. It makes us able to trust that what we have is the original because we can compare all the evidence. For example, here's some of the numbers I have. Aristotle, 49 manuscripts. Sophocles, 193. Plato, 210. New Testament manuscripts, we're over 5,000. All right, that's a big difference. So many more. The gap between the original and existing manuscripts is so short compared to the other ancient manus- uh, ancient documents. This is a big deal because the closer a manuscript is to the original, the more reliable it is because it doesn't have enough time to be changed over time. Check out a comparison with some other ancient documents. P- Plato's Tetralogies, 1,300-year gap. Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, 900 years. Tacitus's Histories, 800 years. Guess what? For some of the New Testament manuscripts, just 45 to 75 years. Not enough time for all kinds of things to be changed because the people who are alive during those events can be like, hey, 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 no, I was there. That didn't happen, right? For a person who rejects the transmissional reliability of the New Testament, then for them to be intellectually credible, they would have to also consider unreliable all the other manuscripts of antiquity, which means they would have zero knowledge of the classical world. The manuscript evidence is so powerful for the Bible. I encourage you to look into it. But then there's archaeological evidence. I love what Jewish archaeologist Nelson Gluick, who died in 1971, said. It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Archaeology just keeps confirming the scriptures. In Acts, Luke names 32 countries. 54 cities, nine islands, without an error, which have all been identified through archaeology. Sir William Ramsey, an atheist and son of atheists, archaeologist from Oxford, set out to disprove the reliability of the book of Luke and Acts. However, through some painstaking trips, he became a Christian when all of the historical statements of Luke were proved accurate. He says, Luke's a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, This author should be placed along with the greatest of historians. Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect to its trustworthiness. So friends, why do I trust the Bible? Again, I'm not trying to be exhaustive here, but I trust the Bible because the resurrected King Jesus endorsed the Old Testament and authorized the New Testament. That in itself is not a presupposition. It's a considered conclusion built from the argument that the Bible is historically accurate based on many things, but I just went into manuscript and manuscript evidence and archaeological evidence. Then, with that, if that's true, Jesus rose from the dead, and therefore Jesus is who he says he is. He's God, and what he says about the word is true. And what he said is the Old Testament and the New Testament is God's very word, God's revelation. Whew. All right, that's enough for now on that. Let's get back to how the Bible encourages us and equips us to live for the day. Again, it's the one that claims that there is a day coming. I think of Acts one eleven when Jesus, you know, 
went up into the clouds and was done with his earthly ministry. And Acts 1.11 says, the angels say, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The Bible says that Jesus is coming back. I'm so excited about that day. That's what this podcast is all about. It's the scriptures that tell us that. The Bible's the one that tells us that God is our shepherd, Psalm 23. The Bible's the one that tells us there's hope for eternal life, John 3:16. The Bible's the one that tells us that Jesus has a crown of victory in store for those who persevere and endure in Revelation. The Bible's the one. The Bible's utterly unique. It's our source of truth. Why? Because God's the creator. He makes the rules. He defines reality. And the Bible is God's self-disclosure. It's his self-revelation. The Bible warns us and encourages us. And it tells us what's going to matter on that day. And we're going to keep exploring that on this podcast. What's going to matter on that day? I will tell you, like that first Peter verse said, the word of God will stand forever. Let's love the word, friends. Let's trust it. Let's believe it. Let's know it. Ultimately, it all points to Jesus. I just want to say, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, ay, 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 I, I, I don't have a love for the word. And, or maybe you're like, I have these questions still. I just want to encourage you. Would you be willing to humble yourself and find someone who does love the word? Find someone who has wrestled with some of the hard questions and hear their perspective. There's, there's no better way to come to love the word than to be around someone who loves the word. So I would just encourage you to do that. The Bible, friends, it encourages us and it, it equips us to live for the day of Jesus's return. Woo! I love the Bible. I love the scriptures. And I'm thankful for it. I'm just going to say a prayer before we get into the nugget for the day. Jesus, I love you. And I just pray that you'd give me a greater love for your word, a greater trust in your word, Lord. And I pray for the person listening to this right now. I pray that, that you'd give them a greater love for your word, a greater trust in your word. I'm so thankful for you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, it's, it's, it's bread, it's life, it's, it's hope, it's endurance, it's strength, it's warning, it's correction. It's, it's just so precious, and we just love you so much. I'm so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I get to the nugget, uh, just giving credit where credit's due, some of the, some one influence that's been really helpful for me in some of my questions and some of the kind of logical argument for believing the Bible comes from a book called uh, Why Trust the Bible by Greg Gilbert. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But let's get to the nugget about eternity, about heaven. I want to talk about animals. Will there be animals in heaven? And I want to talk about pets. Will our pets be in heaven? Let's start with animals. I firmly believe that there are going to be animals in heaven. Why? 
just because I want that? No. Scripture. Remember, Scripture is our source. Romans 8 talks about how the whole of creation was subject to futility and suffering because of human sin. The creation groans in longing for the liberation that will come to humans and thereby all creation itself. So all of creation is longing to be set free from bondage caused by human sin. And God is going to fully redeem creation, right? And so I believe a core part of creation is animals. Animals are essential part of creation. Next to human beings, uh, some would argue the most significant part. Adam was called to give names to only one other part of creation, the animals. He worked the garden, but he wasn't invited to name the vegetation. Clearly, animals had a certain had certain qualities that set them above other creation, and they were to be special to human beings. And so, I think it's I think it's pretty dang clear. Animals are part of God's good creation, and God's on this mission to redeem and to renew all of creation, animals included. So. I would say, yes, let's go. I'm going to be petting lions someday. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But I do believe animals are going to be in heaven. But let's talk about our pets. Uh, My answer is, I do not know. But I will say a personal anecdote. I really hope that in God's generosity, um, our our pets can be with us in heaven. (laughs) It's actually something special to me, but I remember my first dog that I loved so much named Annie. I remember Annie, my other dog, Cooper, and now my little cat, Disco. You know, I just, pets, they're just special, you know? And I had special connections with them. And I remember promising Annie, I'm going to ask for you in heaven. And I did that with Cooper. I've even done that with Disco. So I really hope uh, that pets will be in heaven. I don't know for sure. But I wanted to leave you with this excerpt from an amazing woman of God named Johnny Erickson Tata about pets being in heaven and her pet, Scrappy. She said, If God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be just like him. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character, exorbitant, excessive, extravagant, in grace after grace, of all the dazzling discoveries and ecstatic pleasures heaven will hold for us the potential of seeing scrappy would be pure whimsy utterly joyfully surprisingly superfluous heaven is going to be a place that will refract and reflect in as many ways as possible the goodness and joy of our great god who delights in lavishing love on his children so will our pets be in heaven i don't know friends i hope so but i do trust in the goodness and the extreme lavish generosity of God. And so that makes me have this hunch that, yes, some of our pets will be in heaven. All right, that's the nugget for the day. I hope something in this podcast encouraged you today. I'm really thankful for you. Thanks for your time. And I pray that it inspired and encouraged you and equipped you to love the Word of God more. And as you love the Word of God more, that's going to help you and encourage you and equip you to live in light of the day of Jesus' return. And that's what this podcast is all about. And so thanks for being with me. If you would, would you be willing to 
leave a review of the podcast. That just helps more people uh, hear, hear it. And so I just appreciate you doing that. Thanks so much for listening in. God bless you. And we'll talk to you soon.